I am so happy to be here. It's always a privilege to share something about Jesus. Now, I have notes here, not because I don't know what I'm going to say, but actually to keep me on track not to share too much, because <laughs> there's so much I want to share, and if I sort of go too far, then it takes too long. So, on, the, on your table, can I just see, if you want afterwards, you will see a folder. I have a charity, I started a charity called Ipico. Ipico is the Sulu word for wings. And wings, there's healing under the shadow of his wings. But I will share about that a little bit later on. What I would really like to share is start off with Isaiah 61. Which I have lost. That's because I'm not in Isaiah. Okay. So Isaiah 61, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison doors to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Why? That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. When I was born again, when I was 28, that was God's call on me right from the beginning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Into sort of uh, some years later, I was thinking, I can never share that God has anointed me. Who am I to say God has anointed me? And I would not share it because I thought that's really proud. And then God really challenged me and he said, why do you think you can do anything without my anointing? And it was just, okay, God has anointed me. God has anointed you for what you need to do. So what I want to call, what I want to share this morning is about God's equipping. God's equipping equals God's call on your life. God will equip you for whatever he has called you. The calling to follow Christ lies at the root of every other calling. The first and uppermost call was to follow Jesus, to become a disciple of Christ. It is only out of that call to follow Jesus that we can so of now any calling to a specific word. If we haven't heard the call of, of God to be his disciples, we cannot hear the call to do any work for him. Out of the calling of to follow Christ lies at the root of every other calling. The calling to belong to Christ goes much deeper than the calling to any specific work. And whatever we do, in word or deed, we have to do everything in the name of Jesus and for the glory of his name. 
When I became a Christian at 20 years old, I knew that Jesus saves, forgives sins, gives joy and peace inexpressible. That's all I knew. I didn't know anything else. I don't come from a Christian background. I come from a very traumatic background. That's another testimony which I don't have time to share now, but he really miraculously saved me, and lots of miraculous things happened. But as I said, that's another testimony. All I knew was is Jesus saves, Jesus forgives sins, but I knew very clearly to call upon my life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. So, I would share that with anyone who would listen, and with many who wouldn't listen. That's uh, because I was inexperienced, enthusiastic, and I was thinking, everybody would want to know that, what I have found. I was a baby in the faith, and I didn't know any better yet. I knew God's call upon my life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to open prison doors, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach good news for the glory of his name. So I obeyed, and people were saved, and there's so many amazing things happened. Although that's all I knew. God saves, God forgives sins, end of story. That's all I had to share. But for the stage I was in, that was enough, and God used that. It was a honeymoon period which turned into a love story, which is still ongoing. In Luke 4, we also read the first disciples who are called as well. They stay close to Jesus. They learn from him. And I have too seen him do many miracles. They were coming back. When Jesus sent them out, the 70 came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were enthusiastic, just like I was. They also were babes in Christ. However, we still often struggle with our human nature. So again, in Luke, we read, in Luke 9.16, we read, They squabbled. Who is the greatest among us? They have just been with Jesus. They have seen him do miracles. And yet they come back and say, Who is the greatest among us? Well, when I became a Christian, I wanted to be the best Christian ever. Well, I can safely say I'm not. I am a Christian, and by God's grace, I'm here. But am I the best Christian ever? No. I, in my human nature, I did all sorts of things still, because we grow, don't we, from stage to stage. And so when I just nearly became a Christian, and uh, I started nurses' training, and I loved it. Coming from a background where I felt uh, very uh, low ego strength and I felt very worthless, in nursing I thought, that's the one thing I can do well. It's the only thing I can do well. It's the only thing that I'm good at. Because I thought I'm not good at anything. So I had all the special courses planned that I was going to do. I loved nursing. I was, I was good at it. And I had planned, I'm going to do this course when I finish training, and I'm going to, and I had my life planned out. Everything was planned. Then I had an accident at work, and I hurt my back very badly, and I had a spinal fusion, and that was the end of nursing, the end of all my hopes, the end of all my dreams, everything that I had planned. Well, you know, when we look at the disciples, Jesus began to teach them the cost of discipleship. 
So in Luke 9, uh, Luke 9, 57, we read that Jesus uh, said to a rich man, the rich man said to him, what must I do to follow you? And he said, sell all your riches. My riches were my nursing. I loved it. That's the only thing I'm good at. And in Luke uh, 14, 25, Jesus began to teach him more about the cost of discipleship. He said to them, leave it all behind. That's not easy, is it? So leave it all behind. But Jesus prepares us and equips them, equips their disciples for their calling. He does the same for us. He equips us for our calling. We don't always understand what's going on in our lives, don't we? But he does equip us for something. The first Christian book I ever read when I became a Christian was God Smuggler. Are any of you familiar with God Smuggler, Brother Andrew? He, okay, so some of you know. Uh, Brother Andrew, was a, he smuggled Bibles into the Eastern Bloc because there were persecuted Christians there. I never heard about persecuted Christians. So when I read that book, I thought, gosh, I could never do that. I could never smuggle Bibles. I could never do what he does. Never say to God, I could never do that. Because he said, that's precisely what I want you to do. But God prepares us for work. So I'm still a young Christian and I'm still full of wanting to share. Although I've lost my nursing, it was a dark time, but God was preparing me for something else. So one day I was praying and um, God just... I started weeping for persecuted Christians. I never even heard of persecuted Christians. So I started weeping for them. My mum, who was in her 60s by then, she became a Christian through my testimony. That's another testimony, amazing testimony. Um, My father, my brothers, they're very much against Christianity. So when my mum became a Christian... My father started persecuting her. To cut the long story short, which will go into the testimony how I was saved, um, when my mum became a Christian, she was a very young Christian. She also didn't know anything about the Bible. She was just like me. And then two years after she became a Christian, she had a stroke. And she couldn't move. All she could move was her right hand. And because she wouldn't give up praying... My father locked her in for seven years. This is in Switzerland. But I I come up from a sort of a mountain country uh, where the man says what happens, and that's law, and nobody goes against it. And so he locked her up for seven years. She wasn't allowed to see anybody. The nurses that came in to tend to her, he terrified them so they wouldn't come anymore. The pastor where she was going to church, she's only been a Christian two years. The pastor where she was going to church came to see her, and my father said to her, you can only come if you don't speak of Jesus. Unfortunately, the pastor thought, well, there's no point then, which is absolutely sad, because my mom was so encouraged to seeing his face without even having to say anything. But he thought, If I can't speak of Jesus, there is no point. Now I have testimony again and again and again where Christians in persecuted countries were encouraged just by looking at each other, how we can encourage each other. So she literally didn't see anybody except 
me once a year when we drove out there, if we were lucky enough that my father let me into the house. So for seven years, there was not a night that I didn't go to sleep crying. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I was terrified that my mum would lose her faith. I went there one day and John uh, distracted my father. He took him out somewhere, which was a rare occasion that he actually went. And I had some time alone with my mum and I said, let's pray. And I thought she was going to pray, Lord, please deliver. She's only been a Christian a couple of years. Lord, please deliver me from this. You know, Lord, please take me out of the situation. Instead of that, she started praying, Lord, I thank you. You have been so good to me. And my tears just started, sorry about that, just started pouring down my face. And I thought, how can you pray that? When you're laying here, there's so much to her testimony which I don't have to share. But I was broken-hearted for seven years to see my mum like that, and I couldn't do anything about it. But I understood, and I began to understand what it was, was like to suffer for Christ. Because there are many Christians who are persecuted, who are in prison, who don't have anybody else to encourage them. That's how God prepared my heart to have a heart for the persecuted Christians. So uh, within those seven years, somebody came to our church from Open Doors, which uh, has to do with suffering Christian, and he just shared about Open Doors. And I just asked ask him, how do you become a Bible smuggler? I had no intention of becoming a Bible smuggler. I'm just curious. I don't want to go to those countries. And he just looked at me and he said, I really feel you should come to our conference. Okay, no problem. So John and I, John's my husband, John and I went to the conference. And before we left the conference, we had signed up to go to uh, Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia at that time was a very, very close country. Christians were in prison, they were tortured, and they were killed for their faith. It was really close. That was before Perestroika. And I'm sort of walking along the road thinking, how did that happen? So I was walking in the grounds of that conference and God really spoke to me about, because it was very dangerous, you could be imprisoned yourself. And he just reminded me that my life is in his hands. And he said to me, all the days that are appointed to you are already written down. So I thought, well, Okay, if they are, there's nothing I can do about it anyway. So I might as well do it. So I've settled that. Uh, so anyway, so for 22 years, my calling was to heal the brokenhearted, to open prison doors. So the outworking of my calling now, rather than just sharing, Jesus saves, Jesus heals, was now to go to persecuted Christians and smuggle Bible into, first of all, the Western, the, the Eastern Bloc, where we used to have, uh, like in the proper spy films, we used to have specially adapted cars and vehicles where we would transport hundreds of Bibles in. At the border, sometimes it would be uh, examined with mirrors, the, the car would be taken apart, but they had done secret compartments. Uh, so anyway, we did that for 23 years, for for 20, 20 odd years. And then in between that, uh, the Lord said to me, John and I used to travel together in the Eastern Bloc. And so God said to me, you're going to start traveling on my own. And I thought, oh, that's not going to go down well with John. 
So, Lord, how I'm going to tell him what you said to me? Well, do you know what? And God calls you to do something. He prepares the way. So when I came and told John, I think he said, I know. So God does prepare the way. So God called me to China. And I absolutely sure God calls me to China. But because my human nature just wants to be sure and I want to do the right thing, I said, Lord, just confirm it. We were actually due to go to Albania in a week's time. We were due to lead a group into Albania, which was another really close country. And so we were picking up some people from the airport to go to, into Albania. And the first woman who stepped off the plane, she said, I have just been to China, you have to go there. She knows nothing about me. So I said, okay, thank you, Lord. But Lord, you know me, I'm really a weak, a weak Christian. Can you just confirm it again? So by the, <laughs> by the time we got home, because quite a, uh, quite a big step for me to go on my own. So by the time I got home, when we got home, there was an open doors magazine uh, on the floor, and the headlines was "Hostile Forces in China." China needs you. I said, "Okay, Lord, I, I know you've called me to China." So we went to Albania. When I came back, I went into China. Now, China in those days belonged to actually uh, it belonged to uh, to Britain. It wasn't reunited with China. Uh, Hong Kong, I mean, Hong Kong belonged to Britain. It wasn't reunited with China as it is now. So we used to be stationed in Hong Kong and then take trips into China through different borders at different times. So we used to be briefed what we have to do. So I was listening to all uh, how to do it, how to pack the Bibles, because you had a big backpack, which is another amazing story, because I had a spinal fusion. My back really wasn't very good. But I was asked to carry 20 kilos on each shoulders of Bibles. Sometimes before I go out the door, my back would be so bad I couldn't move. The minute I walk out the door, it'd be fine. God equips you for what he calls you to do. So anyway, I got to China, and I listened to people's advice. If you put that in, then the x-ray won't see that you got Bibles in. If you put empty uh, Coca-Cola cans in, they won't see that you got Bibles in your bag. I listened to all the advice, and I did it, and I felt, I felt I had really packed my Bibles and hidden them very well. And at the border, we used to have to go through on our own, so we are completely on our own. So I'm walking up the border. I'm really confident God has called me to China. And I go to the border and there's this hand on my shoulder. And I had to come over. So I had to unpack all my Bibles. And it showed all my Bibles were there. They took away my passport. They took me into a room, threatened me with all sorts of things would happen to me, blah, 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 all that. But I didn't get one Bible. One Bible was hidden, which I didn't see. So I got across the border, met up with the others, and I was really sad. I thought, God, you've called me to China, and I lose all my Bibles. But I thought, you know, one Bible, because they used to, I should have bought it. They used to handwrite the Bibles, and they used, to, they used to walk miles and miles and miles to get one Bible. They used to sell literally their blood to have enough money to go and buy a Bible. So one Bible was really important to them. But I was just so sad. So we went back to, uh, to Hong Kong, and I thought, Lord, I don't understand. So next time, I packed, I packed what I thought was better through a different border at a different time, because there are many, many borders from Hong Kong into China. 
I'm not quite so confident walking up to the to the border now because yeah, I just got caught yesterday. So sure enough, I feel the same hand on my shoulder again and I'm God, what is happening? So I got there, I had to unpack all my Bibles. As I'm unpacking the Bibles, I said to him, but I need some Bibles back. And he said, no, no, I can't do that. I don't know. The Holy Spirit tells you what to say, which doesn't often make sense when we do it, but he just tells you. So I just said, well, I need some Bibles. And he said, I can't do that. I said, but I really need them. So he gave me some back. So I said, no, I need more. Goodness knows, if I'd have thought of saying that, I believe me, I wouldn't have thought. So I said, I need more. So he gave me some more. And there was a big study Bible there for pastors. I said, I need that. He said, no, 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 I can't do this. Yeah, I really need it, I said. So he put that study Bible in. By the time I finished, half of the Bibles he had given back to me. So I went across the border and everybody was rejoicing. They've lost all their Bibles. Everybody was rejoicing and saying, we've never, ever heard of anything because the prisoner, prison, the guard can go to prison himself if he's caught giving Bibles back. And everybody was saying, this is amazing. We never heard you got half your Bibles back. But I was just sad. I said, Lord, I don't believe you've called me to China to lose half of my Bibles. So I went back to Hong Kong and I fell down on my knees and said, Lord, I don't understand you have called me to China, and yet I lose half my Bibles. You know what's happening. So first of all, God said to me, you listened to man's advice. You didn't even ask me how to pack the Bibles. So I said, Lord, I'm really sorry. How should I pack the Bibles? And he said, don't hide them. Just take them, take them freely. And I, 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 Back on my knees. That's not the answer. Lord, how should I pack the Bibles? Well, I've done that about three times. I said, no, 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 no. He said, you're not clever enough for the border guards. Don't hide them. Just take them through freely. Oh, gosh, no. So then I said, okay, Lord, I will do that. And he said, and there was pride in your heart that you got half the Bibles through when everybody else lost them. God said to me, you who carry the vessels of the Lord must have clean hands and a pure heart. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm really sorry. I repented. And you know, sometimes when God tells you something, and the first people to discourage you are the Christians. We don't mean to, but it just happens, doesn't it? So when they saw me and they said, you're not going to carry the Bibles through like that, are you? And immediately I think, no. I said, yes, I am. So I walked up to the border, got up to the border, and I feel that hand on my shoulder again. My heart is thumping. I think, what's going on? He said, put everything on an x-ray. So I put everything on an x-ray. They couldn't see what was there. I could clearly see. I had a stack. They could not see, and I just carried them through. I have gone through China. I've traveled in China 14 years, 14, 15, 16 times I've been in and out of, of China. And out of each time, we travel about 20 times. So, so many times I've traveled inside China. I have never lost another Bible. I've never hidden a Bible either. I have never lost another Bible. I have traveled in Yemen because God then called me to Yemen, to Iran, to Tripoli, to all sorts of different places. I have never lost another Bible, not because I'm clever, not because I'm good, 
but because I did it God's way. Everybody knew me as the lady from Open Doors. And then after 22 years, the Lord said to me, stop, lay it down. No. <laughs> he says, stop and lay it down. It took me two years to obey the Lord, to lay it down, because it was my life. It was just like nursing. Now there is nothing. He didn't tell me, lay it down and there will be something else. He just said, stop. And as I said, it took me two years. Now I have no ministry. At that time, my marriage was in serious trouble as well. As well. I had left the church where I was because it was too far away. I had no church where I was at home in. My two closest friends had moved away. There was absolutely nothing. So I sat in that little church where I'm in now, a little church of England. I didn't know anybody. I had no friends. I had no ministry. All my hopes and all my dreams, everything lay in ashes. Luke 23 tells us Jesus died on the cross and his, his disciples were really perplexed. All their hopes, all their dreams lay in ashes. That's just like all my dreams lay in ashes. And then they met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, where they met Jesus and their hearts burned. I was sitting in that little church, no friends, no ministry, marriage in trouble, Everything that I hoped and dreamed lay in ashes. And I said to God, Lord, now it's just you and me. And he said, yeah, that's right. And a great peace just flooded my soul. Maybe you are at that place now where all your hopes and all your dreams are shattered. I have a word from you for the Lord today. Jesus is with you in that place where you are. He knows he knows about you. You're not hidden. Well, I thought when I felt that great peace, everything's going to be all right. But actually what followed was five years of utter darkness. I was dealing with issues of childhood sexual abuse right from way back that I hadn't dealt with. I was dealing with the death of my fiancé right back in Switzerland. I was uh, dealing with the dreams of a happy marriage so five years of utter darkness followed. I thought, I felt forsaken. What, I, what it felt like was actually like somebody had taken me up in a spaceship and just thrown me out. There was nothing. I was just in space. There was nobody else there. Just utter darkness. I didn't know at the time that was called depression. I just knew I felt like that. Little did I know, it was preparation for the next journey of my ministry. Because when we're in a dark place, we don't understand, do we? We don't understand why God does something. We don't understand what is happening. But whatever, is going, whatever we are going through, Jesus is working within us. He's planning for our own good. He's honing us, refining and preparing so that we may bear even more fruit for him. But when we're at that stage where it's darkness and where all our dreams seem shattered, we don't understand, do we? We just think, I don't understand any of it. But um, like on the road to Emmaus, 
the disciples were perplexed, sad, and maybe sometimes angry. Maybe sometimes when we're in a dark place, we are angry with God. Yet at the same time, God is working with us. He is never not working within us, even when we don't feel it. He's preparing, refining, and protecting us from real harm, although it didn't feel like it at the time. It certainly didn't. But nevertheless, that was happened. Through this dark time, amazingly, I studied counseling and psychotherapy at LST, London School of Theology, and Waverley Abbey, and then at Southampton University, where I did my degree. Through all this bad time, I literally cried my way the whole way through my degree, not really understanding why I'm doing this in the first place. So I didn't understand at all what God was doing for me. I felt worthless, different from others, alone. And then over time, slowly, the darkness began to lift. I did my degree, amazingly, because God knows where we are. I very seldom share this. I felt worthless, less than, because I was working through all these childhood and youth issues that I had pressed down and caused difficulties afterwards. I felt really less than anybody else. And I felt I was stupid, because that's what I was told all the time. So... When I done my degree through five years and I cried my way literally through these five years, and I knew if I don't get a first class, I will feel like a, well, like a failure. I got a first class. It wasn't because my first class is important to God or anybody else, but it was important to me and God knew that. And so for the first time I knew, actually, I'm not really stupid. I actually do have some brains. So, but I cried the whole way through my, my degree. And the call of God was still the same. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has called me to heal the brokenhearted, to open prison, just different outworking. So, but in John 21, we read Simon Peter, when Jesus died and all his dreams were shattered, what did he do? He went back to what he did before he knew Jesus. He became a fisherman. But he caught nothing, did he? But he went back to what was his what was his natural thing, his natural ability, and caught nothing until Jesus said, Do it my way, cast the net in on the other side. And then there were so many fish in that he couldn't hold the net in. They obeyed what God had said. So Jesus has given us natural talents. Uh, but any talents, you know, come from God anyway. He does use our natural gifts and ability. Um, so sometimes our natural gift God uses in, in his uh, sort of kingdom. But he also says, unless a grain of seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. We like the fruit bit, don't we? But we don't like the dying and refining bit very much. I don't like the dying and refining bit. If I hadn't gone through the dying and refining, fruit of this mission would not be here. The fruit of going to China and all those other countries would not be there. The seven years of weeping for my mum for the persecuted church, if I hadn't gone through the refining and preparing, it cannot bear fruit. We do like the fruit, but we don't like 
the dying bit, do we? None of and, and often it's not because we don't want to, it's because we don't understand that God is actually working something within us, that he's equipping us for something. It might not be China, it may not, might not be Yemen or Iran. It might be the person next door, but he's preparing us for something. So how did this, this mission happen? So I've got my degree. I started, I've got my own practice at home now. I do counseling and deep, deep trauma. That's what I specialized in, deep trauma counseling. And so I, I looked at, um, I thought, well, I haven't done a job interview for some years. So I just go for a job interview because I need to practice. So I saw in one of the uh, psychotherapy magazines that there was an advert up in the city, so I go up to the city. I just want to have practice to do a job interview. It was for teaching counseling. Teachers would terrify me before because I felt so stupid. I wouldn't even be in the same room as a teacher. I would walk away because I felt so worthless. So I go up to that uh, interview. It's in a big posh place with all the chandeliers and everything. I'm quite relaxed because I don't want the job. I just want the, the sort of experience for this interview. So I answer everything very naturally. Sometimes I could answer correctly. And she said, what would you do in this instance? I said, I have no idea. So I answered everything correctly. And I got the job. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I don't want the job, really. But it's teaching. Hey, it's teaching at Queen Mary University up London. Anyway, I took the job and I found I loved teaching. I loved my students. I loved encouraging them. I still didn't understand at that time that God was preparing me for something else. So after about two years doing that, really loving it, a friend of mine who used to walk in, work in open doors, she said to me, I am um, doing some uh, agricultural work in Africa in KwaZulu-Natal. Do you want to come and join me? I said, no, nah, no, nah, that's okay. So it just didn't leave me any peace. So I prayed about it for two years. I'm a very slow learner. Everything seems to take me that long. <laughs> so it would be much simpler if I just said, yes, Lord, okay. But I want to make sure, you know. So I prayed for two years. So I finally said, okay, I'll come with you. My expectation is I'm going to go out there and plant some seedlings for the poor people there and stuff like that. And she also, because the seedling works for an orphanage out there. And I go out there and um, the pastor knew, I was the pastor whom we were staying, was a Sulu pastor. And he said, um, I have been kidnapped. Please counsel me. I still have my two suitcases in my hand. I haven't even put my suitcases down yet I'm thinking going to plant seedlings God has other plans from morning till night I was just counseling trauma trauma people he brought one after the other and then he said on Saturday night he said you'll be preaching on Sunday morning well thank you very much for giving me so much time to prepare so I had some sermons prepared because I knew in Africa sometimes they ask you to preach. But I forgot them on the table beside my bed. So I didn't. And so the Lord said to me, what makes you think that yesterday's manner is good enough for today? And instantly God gave me what to share on Sunday morning. So I'm sharing Sunday morning in that uh, Sulu church. I have just finished sharing. 
And he brings up this tiny little five-year-old girl, Sulu girl, and he says, she's been raped, counsel her. Well, that's another story which we don't have time to go in because I want to finish about five past 12. So to cut the long story short, they said to me, the pastor said to me, please, please come and teach us trauma counseling because we have no idea. We have no idea what to do when somebody has been raped. We have no idea. So I said, are you sure you want me to do that? He said, yes. I kept uh, not knowing me. Are you sure? Are you sure? I kept asking. He said, yes. So on the way back from uh, KwaZulu Natal, back to London, God said to me, you've got to write the manual. No, 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 Lord. I've never written a manual in my whole life. He said, you're going to write a manual. So I thought, well, I better make sure the pastor still wants that. So I kept sending email after email. Are you sure you want this? Yes, I do. So I wrote a 100-page manual. I've never written a manual in my life about trauma counseling. It took me a year to do it. Two weeks, I've got my ticket to go back. Two weeks before, he said, leadership has changed. We don't want it. I was really angry. A year out, Lord, what's going on? Well, we went there. They didn't want it. I wasn't feeling very happy. And so somebody said to me, I think you should go to Umpumalanga. Umpumalanga is another part. I have to make this very quickly now because I know we're finishing. So I said, Lord, okay, if this is the place where you want me to share this or where you want me to do the trauma seminars, that's fine. I tried every door in that place, Umpumalanga, and um, every door that I tried closed. So two days before going back, God says to me, Ipika. I said, Ipika, what does that mean? He said, wings. Under the shadow of my wings, there is healing. I was angry because of, now you're telling me two days before I go back and they don't want me? Not, nobody wants me? He said, that's what the mission is going to be called. Under the shadow of my wings, there is healing. I wasn't very happy. So I said, okay, Lord, I've made another mistake. I come here and... It's obviously not what I need, so I made a mistake, sorry. For the last two days, just use me in whatever way you want. So we go to a feeding station where the, where the poor people can get food. I'm just going there because there's nothing else to do. So there's this very stern Anglican minister lady come up to me and says, what are you here for? And I said, well, I thought God wanted me to do the trauma seminars, but I made a mistake, so I'm going home in two days. She said, you make no mistake, get in a car. I don't know this lady. So she got in a car, got other pastors, and within two hours it was arranged that I had the menu, that I had everything that I could possibly ask for to, in order to do that, and everything was arranged. And they said, in two, in two months you're coming back to teach that. When God opens doors... Nobody can shut it. When we try to open, that don't open. So to cut the long story short, okay, I thought maybe we have 10 people at the seminar. Then there was 20. Then there was 30. Then there was 40. I'm saying, oh, God, no, please. Then there was 50. Then there was 60. And I said, Lord, I can't deal with it more. So that first seminar, 60 people came. What God has done there was just amazing. There's so much about this mission, which maybe I share at well, anyway, that's so. Then somebody heard about that mission and they said, We got a Bible school. Can you just come and share your testimony? Before I left the Bible school, they said, 
please come and teach us. Now, for seven, for seven years, I have been teaching counseling, trauma counseling in that Bible school. We have 24 nationalities from African countries, from traumatized African countries in that Bible school. I'm part of that curriculum. That manual that I wrote, I've written another three since then, has now gone in, into 24 different countries. It's being translated into other languages. What God has done is just totally amazing. Within seven years, Epico, which was just me, a charity that I started, and this meal goes out there in the stomach. Actually, it's not. It's Jesus. It's all he's doing, and he deserves all the glory. So we have now built a church in the tribal areas. We have installed running water. We are teaching in the Bible school trauma counseling every year. God had said at one stage, enlarge the tent. So now we're going in. I've been to Zambia. I've just come back from Tanzania. There's such a demand. It's so traumatized. It's just growing and growing and growing. Out of ashes, God will rise up again. So if you are at the place of ashes, please don't despair. Because God is working something in those ashes. That will be much better than what you feel you have lost. There is really much more, but I realize we need to stop. So I just thank you very much for listening to me. Um, if you are at the place where you don't understand, please ask somebody to pray for you. But my message is, Jesus is with you. If you say, God is just you and me, he says, yes, that's right. But actually, that's enough. Jesus is with you where you are. Thank you very much. God bless you. Please.